Philippians 2, verse number 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Are those brand new verses for anybody? Is there anybody here tonight that's never heard those? That'd be awesome if we had some people that never heard them. Anybody? Yeah, great, Jamie. That's awesome. I'm so glad you're here tonight. This message literally was preached to me within two weeks of being saved. And for those of you who don't know, I was saved out of a terrible background of just all sorts of bondage and, and just a, a sinful, sinful life. And the sweet, tender, uh, Jesus is happy with everything message never would have delivered me. If, I, if that message had gotten to me first, um, there's no telling where I would be right now. But the message that found me by the guy that led me to Christ is, hey, Jeff, you're a first-class rebel. You've been that way for 24 years. And I want to tell you, if you're going to commit your life to Jesus Christ, you better, it's all or nothing, you better bow to him as Lord. And that's why it took me two years to do it. It took me two years to come to that place of just saying, surely I can figure out a way to get all the benefits of heaven without any of the demands on my soul. And that was the way I wanted to live. And it took two years before I recognized he didn't come for my transportation. He came for my transformation. He didn't come to take me to heaven. I know that sounds weird to you guys. That's, that's, that's a byproduct of why he came. But that's not the mission. The mission of God the Father in sending Jesus was, was not primarily us-centered. You know what his mission was? And it always has been and still is? That he might be glorified by every creature ever created, that they might recognize the supreme worthship of Jesus Christ and when we do that by faith God says you're in my family now and the byproduct of being in God's family is when this life is over we will be absent from the body and therefore be with the Lord but that's actually a consequence of salvation a good consequence but but the reality is is Jesus came for his own glory that's number one on the list and and we've been taught that it's kind of all about us you say well why is that important Jeff well, because this is what happens in the human mind. Okay, if God's whole purpose is to get me saved, and I've been told that if I pray this prayer, I'm saved, and when I do that, I'm done. Because God's mission is completed in my life. I've prayed the prayer, Jesus is in my heart, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. And so between praying that prayer and dying, what is life then? Well, it becomes like everybody else's life. Try to get rich, try to get famous, try to be happy at all costs. Try to have meaningful relationships. None of those things are necessarily terrible, but they become horrible when that's your purpose for living. What is our purpose for living? It is to bring glory to the Son of God, who is Jesus Christ the Lord, with every possible thing that we can to orient our lives so that they glorify God. Now that I have your attention, let's look at the text, okay? So, go back up into verse number 9. I want to talk to you about where our focus rests. And this is today. This is tomorrow. These are our, our moments in our life. Where does your focus 
rest. Okay, God's going to tell us where. Therefore, God has highly exalted Jesus and given him or bestowed upon him the name that is above every other name. Now, how many of you know there's a Bible interpretive principle that when you see the word therefore, what are you supposed to do? Anybody know? You, you find out what, it is, what, what is it there for. So you have to go back up and you read the verses because the word therefore connects what's about to be said with what has just been said. And so if you look back up in those verses, what are those verses about? Those verses are about Jesus leaving heaven and humbling himself stage after stage after stage, becoming a baby, living as a man who would serve others, dying for no crimes of his own, but dying as a substitute, and dying this terrible death, the scandalous death, the, the unglorious death of a criminal's cross. And so Paul is writing there and he's saying, this is the humility of Jesus Christ, that he who was God in eternity past is God now and forever will be God, did not grasp his godhood as something to preserve for himself, but he literally divested himself of his attributes to be used on his own behalf and became a little baby in a womb. A little baby that had to be fed through an umbilical cord. And then he was born, and he had to be fed, and he had to be changed, and he had to be protected. I know little cartoonists and everything show him like walking on water in the bathtub when he's a baby and they're trying to be cute and everything. But let me tell you, he submitted himself fully to the limit limitations of humanity. And he never used his own divine powers for his own uh, purposes to better himself. Anytime you see Jesus using his divine powers, he's doing something either to glorify the Father or to benefit man. And so he's humbling himself and humbling himself and humbling himself and then ultimately... He has lived a perfect life before the Father and he lays down that life on a Roman cross, betrayed by those that he came to save, rejected by those whom he loved. And, and they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And he was crucified. And on that cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So pause for a moment. Such was the humility of the Son of God that in that moment on the cross, Everything in existence was against him, including God the Father. Isaiah 53 said it pleased the Father to bruise him. Why? Jesus had to become sin. And God the Father poured out his wrath on sin that was encompassed and represented by Jesus himself. And so Jesus felt the sting of betrayal by man and the, sin, the, the sting of being forsaken by the Father. And then he gave up the ghost, so he physically died. And he was dead for three days. And then the Bible says, and we'll celebrate this here in a couple of months, that on the third day, he emerges from the tomb. And he who was humbled to the lowest possible place that a human being can be humbled to, always doing what was right, and in the end receiving the worst wrong for it, dying a criminal's death. He who was more innocent than any human being that has ever walked the earth died the most cruel and unjust death and he took it upon him and then he emerges forth from that and therefore God highly 
has exalted him. And therefore, God has put upon Jesus the name that is above every name. Watch this. In his experience as the Son of Man, he was humbled to the lowest place that a man can go through the death of the cross, the curse of the cross. And because he did that unto the Father's glory, the Father's response was to take him, the Son of Man, and raise him up, 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 to there, where there could be no higher pinnacle that if you left this world right now and shot up through the atmosphere and the stratosphere and into the first heaven and then into the stellar regions and millions and billions of, of, of light years and miles away, you, and you reach the back end of the created time and space uh, reality, you're going to enter into this place called heaven, and when you get to heaven, and if we can picture it this way, you move into that city and you go through the gates and through the streets and up to the holy hill of God and on the top of that holy hill is the throne room and in that throne room is an exalted throne and on that throne is the very one who humbled himself to the lowest point and God said there is no higher place than I can put you I have taken you and I've placed you at the pinnacle that's where he sits today God has done that that is where he is and God is saying to every human being that has ever lived, every angel ever created, every demon that ever rebelled, God the Father is saying, hear my son. Listen to my son. Worship my son. Bow to my son. He is the glorious king of all creation. His name is above every other name. You know, you read the back of the Gospels, and you see a lot of names there. You see, you see names like Pilate. You see names like Herod. You see names like Caiaphas. You see unnamed people, the, the priests and the scribes moving the crowd. You see a name like Barabbas. And in that moment, the people said, we exalt Barabbas. You do what you must with Jesus. And all these names that in the moment of Jesus' betrayal and passion and crucifixion, all these other names look like they're getting exalted and he's being thrust down. But, but God was not going to leave it that way. And so now, today, there is no higher name. And by the way, this is where rubber meets the road. It's his name above yours. It's his name above mine. The issue of the lordship of Jesus brings us repeatedly to this place where we literally, in real time, day in and day out, we have to say, is it going to be about me or is it going to be about him? Is it going to be about me or is it going to be about him? Is it going to be about me or is it going to be about him? You see, it's not just a doctrine. It's, it's an amazing doctrine, but it's not just a doctrine. It's actually the litmus test the lordship of Jesus and how we feel about his name. And we have to come out from the theology of it and we have to say, no, let me see how it's playing out in my life. Because the essence of lordship is that if there is ever, and there doesn't have to be, but if there is ever a conflict between you exalting yourself or you exalting Jesus, lordship says Jesus is exalted. I must decrease, he must increase. And so when we're talking about this, we have to mature and grow and press into that place where Jesus is our focus. That's where our focus rests. You say, well, that ought to be easy enough. Really? What world do you live in? 
Because I don't know about you, but do we not have 100,000 distractions before 10 a.m. almost every morning? And it is this, this pull in our hearts. The reason why we talk so much about intimacy with the Lord uh, across the mission base is that it, it's only the intimacy and the, the, the waiting and the abiding and the pressing in and the leaning back into him and all of those representative descriptions of just moving in love and faith towards a God that we can't see with the naked eye. And, and the result of that is, is that that conflict between our name being exalted or his name being exalted, the conflict dilutes and finally disappears when we're in love with him. See, the key is, is if I love me, I'm always going to be wrestling about, I want, I want to be first. I want to do it my way. I'll be asking God to show up in a meeting with me so I can give him advice about how he ought to run the world. That I, 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 you know, you've probably done that, you just wouldn't say it that way. I do it every time I grumble about my life. Every time I murmur, every time I complain, every time I get, you know, discouraged about things that aren't going the way I want them to go. In essence, I'm saying, God, if you just show up for a minute, I could tell you how to, how to make things great. And we, we know we can't get away with that. But if we can come to that place where we realize this one who's been exalted, this one who went to the lowest depths, this one who rose from the dead and beat the diabolical enemy from hell named Satan, the one who has authority and the one who gave himself not only for me, but gave himself to me. He lives in me now and he loves me. He loves me in spite of the stuff he knows about me and I know about me. He just loves me and I've got to get to know him more. I've got to release more. I've got to, I've got to hear his voice more. I've got to be in his presence more. And what's amazing, it's, it's, it's just the more you step into it, the further you want to go. Why? Because God has made him the focal point of all existence. It's actually in us. See, right now, a lot of you are feeling it. I'm just putting words to what you feel in your heart. You're like, yeah, that's it. That's it. He's the highest. He's the greatest. He's the supreme. He's the sovereign. He's awesome. He's the king. And I, I want to please him. I want to live for him. I want to live with him because it not only brings him glory, but that actually brings me deep pleasure. And so when we hear it, we're like, yeah, that, that's it right there. The key is, is when, when we don't hear it, we're pulled in a hundred different ways. So go a little further. Let's go down into verse number nine. We've recognized that God has established Jesus to have the name that is above every name, and that includes your name and my name. Verse number 10, look at where our wills, when I talk about our will, it's like the human will, your will to do something, where our will bows in honor. So he's exalted him to the highest place and, and given him the name above every name. Why? Verse number 10, so that, that's the reason why, so that at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow. Every knee in heaven. Every knee on earth. Every knee under the earth. Now, real quick here. What does every mean? Most? 99%? Majority rule? 
So I'm just going to, I'm going to get tedious with this tonight because these verses are so important. I believe my Bible. I'm an unapologetic Bible believer. I believe the word of God. I I believe it. And when I obey it, it it shapes and transforms my life. It'll impact other people's lives. And so when I read a dogmatic, simple, plain statement, you'd have to hire somebody to confuse you about this. It says, at his name... Every knee should bow. So we think, yeah, all humans are going to bow, but God knew we'd think that way, so God clarifies it further. No, 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 no. Every knee in heaven, that is the angelic order. All of the creatures and the redeemed in heaven, all of the, um, all of the created order of angels who did not rebel, they are innumerable. We have no idea how many God originally created. They were created at one time. They, we don't find anywhere in Scripture where there were secondary creations. A third of those angels fell and rebelled with Satan, and they're commonly referred to as demons. We'll get to them in a minute. But two-thirds of the innumerable angels, the Bible says, those glorious creatures that when, when you see people encounter an angel in Scripture, they're terrified most of the time. When, when they realize they're in the presence of a messenger of God, it's like, whoa! And, and every single one of them happily bows the knee to Jesus Christ. Every one of them. They're not forced to. They love to do so. They're not, they're not wanting his glory. They're wanting to give him glory. But every single angel ever created has bowed and will stay bowed to the singular person whose name is Jesus. Now, every knee in heaven and earth This is where I have to actually ask the Lord to not let me sin as I think about this. What am I talking about? Well, I love the fact that you've bowed the knee to Jesus. You're awesome people. You're great. Hallelujah. And and so I don't feel any like, yeah, he got her to bow or he got him to bow. But I want you to think of names like this. Hitler. Stalin. I want to be careful here. I don't want to be unnecessarily offensive, but Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius. Think of any war-mongering person, Alexander the Great. Think of the most vile. You think of, what is his name? Anton Lefay, the, the high priest of the Church of Satan. Every single one of them and a host of others. I actually thought about writing out of the list, and I was like, no, I don't want to spend too much time on, on, on the, the villains. I want to talk about the hero. Every one of them. Hitler. Hitler. Now listen to me. This is not, this is not flowery language. Hitler will be resurrected from the dead, presented in the presence of Jesus Christ, and will bow his knee to a Jewish king. And he will confess him as Lord. We'll talk about that in a second. Now here's the beauty. We have right now an opportunity to bow to him in faith. So when you and I were saved, no matter what your physical posture was, I was literally on my knees and just weeping. But it's not in this moment where I'm talking about our salvation. It's not primarily about the physical posture. It will be in that day. 
And that day, by the way, is, is, um, as Paul is writing this letter, when, when the Caesar came by, Kaiser, when the Roman Caesar came by, anybody in his presence bowed the physical knee. And you know what their confession was? Kaiser Curios. Kaiser Curios. What does that mean? Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. When Christians came in to the Roman Empire before it became the religion of, of Rome, when, when Christians came in, they knew that they could not call anybody else Lord because the confession of the early church was not Jesus as Savior. It was Jesus as Lord. Christ is Lord. And so the confession of the church became Christos Kurios, or Jesus Christos Kurios, which means Christ is Lord, Jesus Christ is Lord. And when the Caesars started hearing that they would not say Kaiser Kurios, Caesar is Lord, but they're saying Christos Kurios, all of a sudden the Caesars were unhappy. So what did they do? Well, they filled stadiums and arenas full of pagan worshipers, and they brought the Christians out in chains. And they opened the gates and they let wild animals like lions come out. And the only thing that the Christian had to do was bow the knee to Caesar in that moment and say, Kaiser Kurios, Kaiser Kurios, Kaiser Kurios. And they would be let free. And the Christians refused to do it. The Christians said, no, Christos Kurios, Christ is Lord. So when we're reading this, when we're reading, and I've gotten ahead of myself a little bit, but it's all good, so we'll come back to it. But the reality is, is that Paul is using imagery that was very common in that time. Everybody knew what it looked like to bow to Caesar or one of the Roman officials. Everybody knew it. And what Paul is saying here is, oh, no, 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 forget Caesar, because God has given Jesus a name that is above Caesar's name. And he's exalted to the highest place. And it's going to be in front of Jesus that every single human being will bow. And, and friends, I just want to encourage you. We don't really understand the joy of heaven that occurred when you bowed in the heart to Jesus. You know, we, we just can't fathom. I mean, the, the scripture says there's joy in the presence of angels when one sinner repents. You know, we always said, oh, the angels get happy. That's not what the scripture says. Scripture says the joy is in their presence. Guess who it is getting happy in their presence? It's the Lord. It, it is his joy over you when you bowed and you acknowledge that Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. And I don't want you to ever slip into such a, a routine pattern of thinking that you miss the fact that however whatever you were doing, whatever struggling season, whether you were a child or a struggling adult, with the moment where you bowed in the heart, even if your physical knees didn't bow, if you bowed in the heart, the Lord saw that and rejoiced that you had bowed to his son, Jesus. And your, your faith was accounted for righteousness. And he saved you. Now, go a little bit further, down into verse number 11, because here's what our mouths and our lives proclaim. Now listen, it cannot be an, a, a, a verbal confession only. Your will has to bow to Jesus, and when your will bows to Jesus as Lord, um, your mouth is going to proclaim something. I've already touched on it, but so is your life. And I'm really, the whole point I'm trying to get tonight is, it's easy to sing about him. It is so easy for me to preach on this stuff. It's just easy to talk it. But, but if our vocabulary, if we, if we were made mute, what, what do our lives testify? That's really the issue here. 
because anybody can talk it up. God used to indict ancient Israel. He said on multiple occasions, yeah, they actually draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are really far from me. And so that's the, that's the thing I'm getting at. So let's look at it. So our mouths and lives proclaim what? Verse 11, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, to the glory of God the Father, to the glory of God the Father. Here, there it is. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the sovereign. He's the supreme. There's so many different ways it can be said. And, and you know, I, as long as the words exalt Jesus, I'm fine with it. I like to use biblical terminology. Um, he is the ruling king over the cosmos. Um, he's not our good buddy, JC. He's not. I, I would encourage you, if you're, if you're that familiar with him, you're too familiar with him. Um, I, I, I want to be, I want to be able to be like John the Beloved and lean on his breast, but you never saw John strutting around saying, hey, JC, you know, that it's, there's always reverence there. And I hope there will be a mighty return. Matter of fact, I, I, I know there will be a mighty return to reverence with the revival that's coming. Um, if you're in his presence, I'm going to tell you, the deeper you go, the less flippant you become. And so the confession is that he's Lord, but what does that mean? Because that sounds like church talk, right? That's religious language. But let me tell you what it meant when Paul was being moved by the Holy Spirit to write it. It means he is supreme in everything. It carries with it not simply a, a wonderful, you know, kind of flowery thought about Jesus being super. It carries with it the, the, the obedience issue. It carries with it authority. And I think we might be in danger, if we haven't already crossed that line, of losing our constant awareness that he is, yes, he is impeccably loving love is the nature of jesus but he's also holy in authority and so when when we tilt one way or the other if you tilt towards authority and and you forget love he becomes a scary king that you don't want to break any of his rules that's not jesus but if you tilt towards love and you ignore his authority and his holiness and his ability to command, if you're always leaning to love and away from authority, you're going to live in a level of detachment from who he actually is. And chances are um, you'll become flippant about the sin that he actually died to, to atone for. And so I think that's where we're at. Um, I, I want you to think about this. Every single rational creature ever created by God well, at the end of the age, give a verbal expression and testimony. Every single one. Every human that ever lived, every angel ever created, every demon that ever rebelled will communicate Jesus Christ is Lord. I, there's something about that. When, when, when you're getting harassed by the enemy, and I don't think the devil creates all of our problems, but I also don't think he takes a vacation. That, that I literally believe, I think the Bible is pretty clear that there are principalities and powers that are assigned over regions and areas. And there's an innumerable amount of demons. We don't know how many. And they actually have a strategy. The Bible says that we should not be ignorant of Satan's strategies. So Satan is strategic in coming against you. It's not just a general thing like, yeah, I'd love to kill, steal, and destroy. There's actually strategy 
about how can we get Jeff Lyle, Amy Lyle, Landon Lyle, and Alicia Lyle, how can we drag them down? How can we destroy them so they stop bringing God glory? There's actually inter- demonic communication and strategy they're rational being and so i i believe this i don't know that i can give you a a singular verse on this i literally believe there are demons that have been assigned to our lives i believe that i don't know that it's the same one your whole life but i i, I do believe that there is and especially if you're living for the glory of god now if you're just playing games they're, they're going to leave you alone i mean you're no threat to them so they're they're not going to bother with you but if you're living for the glory of the lord they're on it and one of these days, I picture this scene. Y'all, y'all just gonna give me some latitude tonight. I picture this scene when we're, we're standing glorified and redeemed with the Son of God in heaven and the demons are about to be cast into the lake of fire. And I can, I can see it this way, whether it's an angel or Jesus himself, but I, I sanctified imagination. Somebody calls that demon to come before the throne. And I can hear this. Jeff Lyle, this is the one. This is the one that wanted to kill you and destroy you. This is the one that tempted you. This is the one that accused you night and day. This is the one that was assigned to your life. I want you to see where he is now. He refused the glory. You, Jeff, bowed to the glory. You are safe and secure for all of eternity. This one is about to be cast into the lake of fire, but not before we hear him say something. Now say it. Maybe it's an angel commanding that fallen angel, that demon. Now say it, and that demon will actually have to confess. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what Jesus is going to do. He's going to, some of y'all are afraid to clap on that. You're like, are we like, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, God's glorified in his wrath. He is glorified in his wrath, and they're getting what they reaped. Excuse me, they're reaping what they sowed. So you can let that kind of stuff play over your mind. I don't know that it works out exactly like that, but I do know this, that every single tongue that accompanies every single knee of things in the earth, things above the earth, and things under the earth, which speaks of the demonic and the the realm of Hades, they're going to bow and they're going to confess. Now, listen to me. I don't know when you made your confession. I made my, my confession for salvation August 4th of 1994, and that was all by grace, but there was repentance involved. And it has been my delight ever since that day to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Sometimes I do it in such enthusiasm because everything is is aligned and and there have been other seasons where maybe I haven't been who I should have been. And when I'm confessing that Jesus is Lord, it's reminding me he's Lord and I'm so convicted that I haven't been living like he's Lord. But there's always grace for us children of God. There's always grace that, that if you will confess and forsake it, He's done with it. He cleanses you from all unrighteousness. I mean, I want you to hear that tonight so you don't leave under the penalty of, you know, threatening eternal skies. Oh, no, 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 no. Listen, the Bible says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so what what we're doing is when we're confessing, we're not telling God something he wasn't aware of. A lot of people are like, oh, I'm struggling with confessing this thing. And if you think about it, it's so silly. He, he already knows. Do you know what the word confession means in its root? The etymology of the word confession means to, to agree with, to say along with. 
So when we're confessing, we're not telling God something he doesn't know. We're coming into agreement that he says this thing is sin. And when we come into agreement with him, he goes, good, now let's get it under the blood and we're done with it. And there's grace to move on. And so at this point in eternity future, it's too late. And so this is why we're, we're big on sharing the gospel. This is why we're big on the Bible. Why? Because everybody's going to confess that Jesus is Lord. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And eternity depends on when. Because if they wait until after death, they're going to confess it at the judgment, and it's going to be too late. But if they confess that Jesus Christ is Lord prior to life ending, then they are born again, they're saved, and they enter into the family of God. So that, that's what's true about your, your, your children, your grandchildren, your co-workers, your sisters, your brothers, your parents. Listen, they have to come to a place, not where they say with their lips. We're in the Bible Belt. Everybody will say that down here. It used to be that way anyway. It's, it's not about what we say or what we sing or what we preach. It's literally, it's looking at our lives and saying, is he really Lord? And so let me give you just a handful of verses um, as we wrap up. I only had three out of Philippians, but I, I, I just want to, I want to break through the, the easy believism, pray this prayer mindset. We have to, listen, it's a stronghold. It's a stronghold. That, that how, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, man, I used to go after them like bullseyes. When I first got saved, I'm knocking on doors, and all I'm thinking is a young cat. I didn't know what I was doing, but I, I'm thinking, all right, if I can just figure out what the end door is to get this guy sad for his sin, and I can then pounce on him with the gospel, I'll threaten him with hell, and then I'll wrap it all up at the end and say, but if you'll ask Jesus to enter your heart, you'll go to heaven when you die. That's, they, they trained us to do that. Get them convicted. Get them scared. Tell them hell is hot. Tell them God is good. Bless God. Amen. <laughs> it wasn't exactly like that, but that's kind of the way I remember it. And, and I can tell you, man, I got a lot of people to pray those prayers. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe you died for my sin. I believe you rose again on the third day. I am confessing my, my sin and I ask you to come into my heart and forgive me of my sin. I want to go to heaven when I die. You heard that one before? And what, what's, what's amazing is people who have genuine faith as they're praying that can be saved and are saved if they have genuine faith. But the, the difficulty is most people make it about repeating the prayer and their faith actually ends up in the confession, not the Savior. They trust the confession. And so later on, somebody says, have you been saved? Yeah, I, I prayed the sinner's prayer back in 82. And, and you're like, yeah, but I've known you since 82 and you live like the devil. Yeah, but I prayed the prayer. And their confidence is in the prayer. And, and that's why I say, if we could press the mute button and we couldn't say a word, what do our lives testify about? Now listen, again, I want to be very careful here. There's not a perfect Christian in the room. Christians go, listen, it is, it is a progression in the sense of sanctification. Sanctification is a process. Justification is instant. 
You are justified by the Lord the moment you bow to Jesus Christ. Sanctification is a process. Glorification is what happens the instant we live, leave this world. Glorification is instant. Sanctif uh, justification is instantaneous. Sanctification is dying. You die to yourself. You die to the world. And so on some days you're carrying your cross and you're dying well. And on other days you're, you're, you're the living sacrifice trying to crawl off the altar. Remember that? You, you are living sacrifices. Somebody said, yeah, the problem with the living sacrifice is it always wants to crawl off the altar. And so, I don't want us, I don't want us to put confidence in a prayer or a technique. I want, I want everything we say, especially in the arena of evangelism, do we need to tell people that, that all of us are born sinners? Yeah, because that's what the Bible says. Do we need to tell people that there's a payment, a wage, a price for that sin? Yeah, because that's what the Bible says. Do we need to tell them that Jesus died in order to forgive all of the sin? Yes, because that's what the Bible says. But we need to be motivated in love, and we don't need to be motivated to try to get some prayer out of them so we can tell somebody that we led five people to the Lord last week. And so when we, we get down to this, we want to love people, we want to share the gospel with them, but we, we owe them a debt of truth. Jesus didn't die, listen, over 600 times is Jesus referred to as Lord. You know how many times he's referred to as Savior? 15 if frequency of mention has any significance, 600 times the Lord is saying, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. He's, he's literally graciously pounding that into our understanding. 15 times he's called Savior. It doesn't mean he's not Savior. He's the Lord who saves, not the Savior who offers this bonus level of following him for those that are really serious. And if, hey, listen, I'll be your savior, but if you really, really want to go somewhere with me, I'll take you to the bonus level and I'll be your Lord. That's the way it's presented. Not in the Bible, but by churches and by Christians. So we say, yeah, savior, he's just savior, man. Just pray this prayer, ask him into your heart and he'll forgive you and you go to heaven when you die. And by the way, we've got a six week course at our church and if you really want to find out what can come at the next level, I, I don't know, maybe I'm the only guy who was, grew up in an arena like that spiritually, but I think some of you know what I'm talking about. Even if it wasn't packaged that way, it's kind of the thing. It's like, well, we got them to thank God little Johnny got saved. He's 17. He's been acting like the heathen, but he, he walked the aisle on Sunday, and he prayed that prayer with the pastor, and whew, now if he goes out and gets wasted on Friday night and dies, at least he's going to heaven. That's the kind of logic. Man, I even, I'm like, right now as I'm saying this, I feel like the enemy's giving pushback on it just in the room. He's just pushing back on it. And so let me, let me push back on his pushback with some scripture. So let me give you some stuff. Romans 10, 9 through 10. I got six minutes and I'm going to fill it with scripture. These will be up on the screen. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Look at the confession. He's Lord. He's Lord. He's Lord. 
That's the confession that saves. That's the content of a saving confession. 2 Corinthians 4, 5, Paul is talking about the ministry given to him. He says, we don't proclaim ourselves, but we do proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves your servants for his sake. 1 Peter 3, 15, lest we think it's just Paul. Peter says, he says, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Paul writes in Colossians 2, 6, and 7, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught. So Paul, and he adds, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul preached the lordship of Christ and taught them how to walk under the lordship of Christ. Paul said, yeah, that's the way I taught you. Now you need to continue to do that. Uh, Romans 14 and this, by the way, Romans chapter 14 is a passage on Christian liberty and freedom and the ability to not live under legalistic regulations. But notice that even at the core of that is the lordship of Jesus. None of us lives to himself. The church needs to hear that, especially the church in America. It ain't about you and it ain't about me. We do not live unto ourselves. None of us dies to himself. Even the end of our life is supposed to bring God glory. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, for this reason, Christ died and rose again. Why? That he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Do you see that? I mean, that's a big statement. Jesus did not die to transport you to heaven. That's a glorious ramification of what he came to do. But Jesus died that the entire universe and every rational communicative creature might acknowledge he's the Lord. He's the Lord. Jesus died to establish his lordship. Luke 6, 46 is scary. This is Jesus talking. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Do you see what he's doing there? He's saying, hey, I hear what you're saying, but I see how you're living. And then he's just, he's so tender. He's like, why do you do that? I mean, that's intense. I mean, it, it, it's so tender. It's, it almost makes it worse. Like, hey, what, why are you doing that? And the answer is, is it's spiritually illogical. It's unreasonable for me to use my mouth to talk about his lordship and then to go out and live in a way that denies his lordship. And so Jesus is just gently confronting us. And, and listen, that's really what we, that's all I'm doing with this long sermon. All I'm doing is, is saying to anybody that needs to hear it, hey, why do we sing it? Why do we preach it? Why do we evangelize with it? Why do we talk about it? Why do we say amen to it? But then we live completely differently than all of that stuff. And, and guys, listen, I, I'm not even going to get into Matthew 7. At the end of the age, the reason why this is so important now, the reason why I'm being your friend right now and emphasizing this so urgently is because Matthew 7 pictures a scene at the end of the age where lots of people, Jesus said, many in that day are going to stand before him and they're going to be advertising everything they, they did for him on earth. They cast out demons. They did signs and wonders. They prophesied. They did in his name many wonderful works. And Jesus' response is, I, I don't know who you are. 
Why is that? And by the way, he says this. In that same set of verses, he says, those that do the will of my Father in heaven. It's not, it's not just about our verbal confession. If our verbal confession is not attached to a life of obedience, then Jesus says, yeah, that, that means we've never met. And so I'll give you the, the last verse. Let me just give you this, and mercifully, I'm going to come to an end. 2 Thessalonians 1. This is the end of the age. Watch this. Verse 6. God considers it just to repay, he consider, considers it righteous to repay with affliction those who afflict you. That's a good news, by the way. You ought to love that verse. God considers it a righteous thing to repay trouble to those that trouble you. Verse 7, and he's going to grant you relief, uh, those of you who are afflicted, as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel. Obey, I thought we believed the gospel. It says obey the gospel. Verse 9, those people are going to suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. It's not a happy verse, but it's a necessary one. What is eternal destruction? It means you're away from the presence of whom? The Lord. And away from his glory, the glory of his might. And when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints, that's the church, and to be marveled at among all who have believed. See, that's what we're going to do for all of eternity. We're going to say, whoa, he's glorious. And he's going to be so glorious that we'll never run out of awe. But moving forward, it says, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you is believed. To this end, we always pray for you that God may make you worthy of his calling and fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. I love that. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and that you may be glorified in him at the end of the age according to the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So in the, in the end of the age, Jesus is coming back to earth. And do you know what everybody's gonna be doing? They're gonna be saying, here comes the Lord. There's the Lord. He is the Lord. The whole thing's always been about his lordship. It's always been about his glory. But churchianity has reduced the very purpose, the eternal purpose of God Almighty. Churchianity has reduced it to a thematic prayer that you pray in two seconds, and everybody says, now God's will is complete in your life because you go to heaven when you die. So in case you haven't noticed, I refute that strongly. If you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord, you're going to go to heaven when you die, hallelujah, but you're going to glorify him all of your days until you get there. Doesn't mean you're going to do it every hour of every day. I understand. I've already submitted that we have ups and downs, but I'm going to tell you, a faith that saves is a faith that behaves, amen? So let's stand to our feet tonight. Felt like I was giving birth to a baby up here. My wife hates it when I say that. She's like, you ain't ever giving birth to a baby. You don't know what you're doing. My point being is this. This is hard stuff, and I get it. And I'm just going to say this. It's, I'm two minutes late. If, you ha if you're wrestling with whether or not you're saved, don't go backwards and try to figure out if it was legit. That's the worst thing you can do. Don't trust your memory of an experience. You don't have to do that. Because God doesn't want to take you back in history to throw down a tent stake and say, yes, this is, th that was real. No. All you, all you have to do is say this. Am I following him as Lord right now? Is he Lord today? I don't have, man, if I had to go back to 1994 to figure it out, there, that's a long time ago. 
But do you know why I know I'm saved? I, I primarily know because he's Lord today. And if I made him Lord then, he's Lord today. And that's all you've got to do. And if he's not Lord today, don't leave here like in a panic. Bow to him. Bow to this awesome king of grace and glory. He will take you. He will not, he's not going to take you by the throat. He's going to take you in his arms. And I'll wash you clean. But you have to come to that place where you say, I want you to be Lord of all. In my weakness, in my struggles, at the very least, I'm going to be honest with you. Jesus, here's the key to my life. Go through every room, every drawer, every door. I, I have nothing that I'm keeping from you. I, I, I give my whole self to you. Be the Lord of my life. Amen.